welcome to the Dignity and Respect in Action podcast. This series is brought to you by the UMass Office of Equity and Inclusion and features members of the university community and other experts in the fields of diversity, equity, and inclusion. In these episodes, we'll learn about the work and experiences of our guests and gain insight from their expertise. Your host for this podcast is Dr. Nefertiti Walker, Interim Vice Chancellor of Equity and Inclusion and Professor of Sport Management in the Eisenberg School of Management. And now, here's Neff. Hi, and welcome back to Dignity and Respect in Action podcast. I'm your host, Neff Walker. Today, we're going to talk about the International Education Program at UMass. I'm happy to be joined by Associate Provost for International Programs, Dr. Kalpen Trivedi as well as Dr. Crystal George Mwangi, Chancellor's Leadership Fellow at UMass International Programs Office and Associate Professor in Higher Education. So welcome to you both. Um, Thank you both for joining us on the show today. I'm looking forward to this conversation and learning about the exciting work that you're doing to bring an international perspective to our campus. So we'll go ahead and get started. Um, The first question is to start us off, can each of you introduce yourselves and tell us what you do at UMass? Sure. So thank you very much, Neff, for talking with us uh, today. And we're very excited to be part of this podcast. So I'm Kalpin Trivedi, as you said, and I am the director of the International Programs Office. That means I like to put it in shorthand that it's like being secretary of state for the university. So all of the international, you know, which is not to say that we're the only place at UMass where international work happens. Obviously, we are a globally engaged university in almost every aspect of our teaching, learning, scholarship. But a lot of the work of supporting that global engagement, be it in terms of the mobility of students and scholars or the immigration support that we do for faculty, staff and students or the study abroad and exchange opportunities or the services we provide to faculty in terms of research collaborations, writing MOAs and agreements. Uh, and then of course, international health and safety and travel safety, all of that happens in various aspects of my office. And so I'm very proud and pleased to be able to lead this unit on a campus like ours, where there is just so much support and enthusiasm for internationalization and international activities. And it's great to be here today and to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, um, and as you said, I've um, my name again is Dr. Crystal George Mwangi, and I've been at UMass since about 2014. I'm an associate professor of higher education in the College of Education, and yeah, I, this year I've been working with IPO as a Chancellor's Leadership Fellow to focus on the university's global engagement strategy and global research. And I've also been engaging in some uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion DEI work with IPO as well this year. Um, the Chancellor's Leadership Fellowship is kind of like a leadership development program for faculty who are considering administrative pathways um, as part of the career trajectory. Uh, But prior to becoming a faculty member, I worked for about a decade or so as a college administrator within different units in student affairs and academic affairs. And my research tends to focus on three streams, uh, one around structures of opportunities and issues of inequity impacting the trajectory of students uh, into and through college, particularly racially minoritized students. Um, I also focus on higher education, internationalization, and the use of higher ed as a tool for international mobility and migration. And um, I also focus on African and African diaspora populations in higher ed uh, with an emphasis on issues of race and racism and coloniality in their experiences. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you. Thank you both for that. Um, The next question, how do I know that you have a celebration coming up? 
Um, and can you tell us a little bit about International Education Week and why it's so important to celebrate this week as a UMass community? And we'll start with you, Calpin. Sure. So International Education Week is an annual celebration. It's usually always the week before Thanksgiving. And it's a joint initiative from the US Department of State and the US Department of Education. And it's part of the, the United States' uh, sort of public diplomacy efforts, right? So for a number of years now, we have recognized as a nation, uh, perhaps uh, we used to recognize this more than we have done so recently, that the, the movement between people, the exchange between people, the opportunity to get to live with, live with each other, to learn from each other, is a very important part of how we get to know our neighbors in the world and how we promote equity, how we promote peace, how we promote security, and how we promote tolerance. And so the International Education Week is, is an opportunity for university campuses to pause and reflect every year on the work that they that is going on, be it from their US American students who are gaining global competencies, either through mobility programs like study abroad and exchanges, or through internationalized curricula, through area studies, through language courses. So we want to sort of highlight the, the benefits of that for our, our campus communities on the one hand, but then also for our international students and scholars who are here with us, either as matriculated degree-seeking students or who are doing postdocs or performing, uh, you know, uh, are hired into um, more permanent positions or are transient with us as visiting researchers, visiting scholars, you name it. So it's really an opportunity uh, to come together as a campus and to recognize that there is a lot of exciting work happening around international education. We have a tremendous sort of strength of our diverse communities. We have scholars in our midst from all over the world. We have students from all over the world and we send our students and faculty all over the world. And th that vibrance and the richness of that dialogue and, and that intercultural experience is what we celebrate during International Education Week. Thank you for that. Yeah, and you know, I would just echo what Kelpin said, you know, UMass is a global community and its students, its faculty, its staff, you know, folks come from all over the world. Um, and in terms of also UMass's global reach and engagement through research and teaching and programming. And so it's just really important to recognize and celebrate that. And I love that International Week provides that really direct opportunity. And, you know, additionally, as Kelpin alluded to, and I'll say even more directly, you know, we're living in a time where there is so much nationalism and protectionism happening in the US and also in other countries. And so I think that, you know, it's really critical that we spend some time acknowledging and celebrating the value of global connectedness as maybe a counter to, or even just a different perspective to some of what's going on. Um, and of course, you know, this week certainly aligns with UMass's goals of, of diversity and inclusion on a number of levels as well. So, you know, I think that all of those pieces are definitely there. Absolutely. As you spoke to sort of the globalization and connectedness, I, I couldn't help but think of um, where I was back in March um, when we were dealing with the initial sort of shock of the coronavirus. And I was at Whole Foods and I'm in the parking lot and I had a student that I was worried about in Italy. And I'm like calling or texting Cal Penn about what do we do with our students that are over in Italy and we have this coronavirus. So I'm just thinking of sort of the breadth of the work that you all do. It really does encompass all the various aspects of international um, perspectives, experiences on our campus. 
course. Yeah, I remember that exchange. And, you know, we were in the midst of bringing back all our students. We had actually, I don't know, this might be interesting to listeners, but in the spring, we had about six, 770 students overseas on various programs all through the world. And within the spate of about three weeks, we had to pivot to bringing them all back, figuring out how they were going to get their courses and continue in their uh, academic work. And it was a body of work, but at the same time, we wanted to be very mindful of the individuals at the center mm -hmm. of all of this, right? So in the case of you know, students needing any financial assistance or any programmatic assistance, we were able to meet that. And I think it was a, a huge campus effort. I mean, everyone from the chancellor and the provost down to advisors and faculty in different departments, you know, there was just this, this tremendous desire to say, we will do whatever it takes to make sure that our communities, our students, both our international students who are here on this campus mm -hmm. and our, our US students who are overseas are cared for in the most appropriate way. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So every year there's a theme for International Education Week. Can you tell us what the theme is this year and what that represents? Sure. So um, there's both a UMass theme and then a more national theme. So I'll talk a little bit about the UMass theme um, this year, which is coming together, uh, which again, I think is relevant on so many levels, right? So one definitely, you know, being the fact that most of the UMass community right now is engaging remotely. Um, and that can feel lonely and isolating at times. And so, you know, this year's theme can really remind us that despite being in the Zoomosphere that we're all in right now, um, that we can still come together as a single community in certain ways and as multiple communities too, to support and engage and learn from and with each other. Um, and, you know, then there's certainly, you know, the other part is that we're in the middle of this national election cycle. Um, and while I won't romanticize that America has ever been a place where all people and perspectives are welcome or given equal weight. I, I will say that we are certainly experiencing a national political climate that is extremely divisive um, mm -hmm. right now. And, you know, Chancellor Subhaswamy and other campus leaders have sent messages to our campus, uh, just, you know, reminding us that despite this divisiveness, each of us um, here is here at we all have one thing in common at UMass minimally, which is being a member of the UMass community, right? Um, whether currently near or far. Um, and that is something that we can all potentially rally around and, and dig into in some regard. Uh, so I think that the theme of coming together also can represent and amplify that as well, for sure. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, and I think to sort of uh, maybe expand the lens outward from what Crystal was saying, I think coming together is really very much part of how we have interpreted the, the national theme, which is uh, engaged, resilient, and global, right? So if we think about what are some of the challenges that um, our students are facing, especially um, international students who may be trying to keep up with their coursework remotely from different parts of the world, uh, different time zones, you know, days that are being turned upside down with sleep patterns and so on. How do we help them find that community when they would normally, if they were on campus, if we were all to, uh, in, a, in a normal working environment, a normal campus, you, we, there would be friendship and togetherness and eating together and inhabiting physical spaces. And so I think to, to, be, to create those resilient communities and to have dialogue around how, despite our differences, uh, as Crystal has alluded to, you know, that we can find that commonality of being UMass 
community members, whether it's faculty, whether it's staff, whether it's students, we can celebrate each other's achievements and find ways to connect and, and to be more resilient in this time of crisis. And I think ultimately also to think a little bit globally about the, the, the global bit of that International Education Week theme, I think we have seen a real contraction in the last um, four or five years. And not this is not just in the US, but you can see this across the world, right? In, in various stripes of growing nationalisms, whether it's in the UK and the current dialogues around the United Kingdom's relationship with Europe. Uh, you know, we've had, particularly in the last couple of weeks and really uh, problematic interventions around uh, gender issues in Poland, uh, whether you think about the refugee crisis in North Africa and Europe, whether you think about India and the government there, the issue with, with the refugees and persecuted minorities in China. There are so many issues all around the world where our global community is getting fractured. And, um, and, and you know, what we had always assumed was the goal of International Education Week, that bringing together the exchange of perspectives, the learning and growing together, that, that somehow globalization is being replaced by these fractured nationalisms. And it's going from being a win-win to a sort of zero-sum game. And so how do we refocus on that coming together to say, it's not that if one community wins or if one country wins and other country loses, that's the, the rhetoric around which things have been looked at more recently. And how do we get back to that global perspective of being engaged, of being resilient and of being together? That's fantastic. Yeah, that was, there's so much that I was jotting down notes and trying to digest all that both of you were saying. But I, I think the one aspect that really resonates with me and the work that we're trying to do in our office is the coming together piece, because we feel like, you know, everything that we do is centered on this idea of inclusiveness. Um, and, and, you know, when you think about inclusiveness, there's certainly the sense of belonging and that coming togetherness where you have the each individual unique person is valued for who they are. Um, and that seems like it's sort of at the root of a lot of the conversations that you all are having and especially around um, this particular week. Definitely. And the idea of being able to celebrate those things, um, celebrate the differences that we have um, and provide an honor and respect around those things as a community, uh, mm -hmm. I think is really, really critical. Absolutely. So can you tell me a little bit about the ways you view the International Programs Office connecting to the pursuit of diversity, equity, and inclusion? We'll start with you, Calpin. Sure. So I think at a, you know, at a, at a sort of face level, face value, kind of at the very basic level, we think about it in terms of our, uh, the work that we do supporting international students and scholars are diverse communities on this campus, right? So we have various kinds of programming. Uh, we offer them advising, uh, we offer support services, we offer crisis intervention. Um, we have uh, very affinity groups that, and of course, you know, we're not doing this work at IPO on our own. We're also partnering with campus entities like your office, like CMAS, various units in student affairs and campus life the Student Success Office, which bridges both uh, Student Affairs and the Provost Office. So we're really trying very hard to create an inclusive and welcoming space for those international communities which are in our midst. But I think to, to delve a little bit deeper below that, one of the things that I'm very interested in uh, in the international office is getting my colleagues to think more about 
moving beyond that, that um, programming or connecting with students are thinking about the, the whys interrogating our work, right? So when we think about our campus community, it's one thing to stand up programming, it's another thing to change cultures. Mm -hmm. And so what are we doing for our US American students and our US American staff to get them to be more um, to get them to be more inclusive, to get them to be more welcoming, for them to develop that, that global perspective, to, to understand that there is a difference, there is an otherness, but that that otherness is not necessarily all that we should be looking at for the international student. Right? So for, for a long time, the, the again, I think the way in which we have tended to approach DEI around international students or international scholars is from like the deficit model, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to help them integrate better into our campus. We mm -hmm. want them to learn English as a second language. We want to help them become better Americans, so to speak. And I think that it's really important for us to flip that narrative and to think not so much of the deficit model, but to say, what are their lived experiences in different parts of the world bringing to us? How is the presence of international communities enriching our academic experience, our social dialogues, our community networks, and how do we learn to value uh, each and every member of our diverse UMass community? And international students have a real role to play in that. Uh, and then I think beyond that, again, sort of thinking um, of international um, as something that codes quite sort of monolithic and breaking those things down. So you might have international students uh, who, so as an example, I would say that, you know, sometimes we'll get a referral from UMPD or from student affairs to do with, you know, oh, this is an international student issue because the student was, uh, it's a conduct or, you know, someone was uh, apprehended doing something and we'll be like, no, you've assumed on the basis of a name or how someone looks at their international, but in fact, they're actually from I don't know, from Newton, right? That, that they could be second generation or that yeah. they could actually be a refugee or an immigrant in ways that are not an, an international student. And so how do we kind of break down that monolith and say, we need to meet people where they are and all of these different types of internationalisms and identities often overlay and intersect and, and sort of making that, that more complex beyond just the programming element. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I would just add, I think one of the things I've appreciated seeing in IPO and the time that I've been working with them this semester is uh, that exactly what Kalpin suggested, that they are taking the time to really take a look at um, and interrogate and reflect on their practices as well. Um, so, you know, they've developed a diversity, equity and inclusion working group mm -hmm. and are, you know, really trying to get a pulse on what is happening and where IPO can go into the future to further embed diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives into the work. And I think, you know, there's, the, the world is turning so quickly and there's so many needs on a university campus, but I appreciate um, an office that will take the time to say, you know what, we need to kind of take a look, take stock of what's going on um, because no one's getting it perfect, right? And so what can we do um, to do better and be better? And so I think that that's really great to see that initiative continuing to move forward for sure. Um, because I think when it comes to internationalization, um, it's important to really acknowledge that internationalization in and of itself isn't going to uphold diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
you know, it's like Kendi says, it's not enough to be not be racist. You need to be anti-racist. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the right. same with internationalization. Like it's not enough to say that it embraces these virtues or values um, of diversity and equity and inclusion just by virtue of the idea of global engagement, yeah. um, because that engagement can certainly still reinforce and has reinforced oppression or have mm-hmm. taken a taken a patronizing gaze on people and places. So, you know, taking the time to really resist, counter, um, and and understand, you know, what's going on is really important. Yeah, thank you for that. Gosh, again, so much, so much that I want to, you know, go on a segue on, but we we can't. Um, we have to stay focused. But Calvin, please. I was just going to follow up on one thing that Crystal said. So, I mean, I, you know, wh- one of the reasons why we're kind of making some small advances in in this more intentional work is because we have Crystal in our office, right? That her expertise and her experience with this work is really helping ground us a little bit more theoretically. So again, from my own perspective, I think I've always felt that there's among international educators, and I don't mean that necessarily at UMass, but in the field more generally, there is this this, uh, taken for granted implicit assumption that everything that we do, of course it advances DEI because we work with, we work mm-hmm. with diverse communities, but I, I would like to get from that implicit to the explicit. How are we doing this? And a very good example of that. So this week we had our uh, virtual study abroad fair, right? We're trying to get students to think about, okay, as and when the pandemic uh, moves on and we might return to some more normal modes of doing business. If they would like to study abroad, we're still trying to engage with them on that level. And Crystal, uh, along with another eminent scholar in the field, Dr. Lenitra Berger, uh, presented a podcast earlier in the week, which I, which is available on our website. And so if people are interested in following up, I, I highly recommend it, on how do you center social justice in your education abroad experiences? Mm. So, you know, thinking a little bit more intentionally about that to say to students, look, you're going to go abroad, you're going to go into a different community, and you can either be that a passive kind of, you know, touristy vibe, you let things wash over you, or to use a stereotype, you could be like more of the ugly American where you are reinforcing the, the, the way I do things is the best and this mm-hmm. culture has nothing to offer to me. Or you could get intentional about recognizing the differences, the difficulties, the inequities that exist where you go and how do you bring that lens with you? How do you learn there and bring it back to campus, to your own life and to your own work? And so we want to be doing a lot more of that kind of thing where we are intentionally centering these questions in the work and in the programming that we do. That's fantastic. And it reminds me of a conversation. Um, I, I forget where I was, but I was with the chancellor and he was you know, explaining to folks that everything that we do should be done through this prism of social justice. And I, it sounds like exactly what you all are suggesting. We'd be much more intentional in ensuring that we come from a perspective and we're centered around this idea of social justice first. So oh, definitely, yeah, the idea of being intentional, embedding the values in the work, and then taking actionable steps towards them like every day, which yes. is a lot of work, but it's so important. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> So I, I want to touch on um, this this term internationalization. Um, I think a lot of our listeners would want to understand what that means, but also how can internationalization support movement towards greater diversity, equity, and inclusion? Sure. So the idea of internationalization, you know, is is in the higher education space is really in terms of thinking about the ways universities in, 
engage the world, engage globally. So that might be through um, education abroad. It might be through uh, globally engaged research. Um, it might be through enrolling um, international students to our campuses. Now there's the term internationalization at home. So thinking about the things that are already happening in our local communities mm. and campuses that already demonstrate, uh, you know, a global environment and climate. So the idea that all of the, the, the nature of, of, of the global world in which we live in are connected to our campuses. Some campuses might have, um, you know, campus, uh, campuses abroad or things of that nature too. So internationalization is kind of the umbrella term that reflects all of, all of those pieces for sure. Fantastic. Am I missing anything helping? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, that's exactly it, that it's a sort of this, this comprehensive sort of basket of activities. And I think it becomes then our role as the, the practitioners of internationalization on a campus like UMass to be thinking about, okay, how do we do those international activities in a just and equitable way, right? Because it's, mm -hmm. it's it, when we talk about, for example, opening global campuses or enrolling students abroad, it, it's, it's very easy to, again, come at this from a, a, a sort of pseudo-colonialist or a neo-colonialist perspective. So one of the, the discussions in the field very much centered around study abroad is whether or not the study abroad curriculum uh, needs to be decolonized. Just as we are talking about, you know, decolonizing the curriculum in all aspects, right, of campus curriculum as well. So what does that mean to us as, a, as an international office? And that's thinking a little bit about, okay, when, when we send our students abroad, are we preparing them to be respectful, mindful, to be contributors, to be humble, to learn, rather than to take? Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and a very good example of that is around um, international volunteerism or international service or service learning uh, type of programs and trips where, you know, is it, is it a, a model where you are making these in and out interventions into a community without building long-term stable relationships? You know, are you coming to them saying, we have this great idea to help you? Or are you learning and listening to the local communities who are saying, this is what we would like from you and then creating programming and education around the needs of your partner communities overseas. How are we approaching our international university partnerships, right? I mean, on, on the one hand, are we just sort of saying, okay, we wanna work with universities like UMass. And if we say that we wanna work with universities like UMass, that means we're working with certain elite top ranked universities, maybe in Australia, in Western Europe, in the UK, potentially some institutions in China. Then you have to ask yourself the question, is that an equitable way of doing internationalization? Are we perhaps leaving out resources, universities in the global south that don't, are not able to play those ranking games or are not in the same places as the universities with whom we're partnering? But that doesn't mean that we don't have anything to learn from them, right? Mm -hmm. There's a, there is a lot that we could be engaging with universities in Latin America and Sub-Saharan Africa. So how do we find the appropriate model to engage? So yes, it's internationalization, but then we wanna internationalize in a way that is equitable and, and upholds our values of DEI at home. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah.
For sure. And I mean, the only other thing that I'd just add briefly to that is, you know, the, the notion. So uh, recently, myself and a colleague, uh, Dr. Christina Yao, have developed this. Um, it's called, we call it an equity-centered lens um, for internationalization work. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, really this idea of exactly what Kalpin is suggesting, how can internationalization be pursued or investigated um, in ways that remove barriers, redistribute resources, um, engage in inclusion for those disadvantaged by unequal or hege hegemonic power structures. Like what are the ways in which internationalization can actually be a force around that versus reifying those things, um, mm -hmm. right? Because um, sometimes this notion of global engagement can come across as an elitist activity. Um, and certainly I think that it's really important for practitioners to, to think about how can we kind of flip the script on that and really engage actively uh, to counter that approach. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That was, that was good. How do you think that the DEI work that college campuses are doing um, in the U.S. can benefit from a global perspective? And you may have touched on this, but if you have anything else to add, I, I, you actually have touched on this throughout our conversation so far, but if you have anything else to add to that specifically, I think it might be helpful. Um, sure. Like, so I would say in, in truth, I think even just the idea of like international engagement and then DEI work on college mm -hmm. campuses have kind of historically been set up uh, to be more counterintuitive than to be in collaboration. And I think that that's changing. But, you know, on many campuses, DEI work has traditionally focused more on local issues or domestic diversity, quote unquote, um, and more inward facing issues and internationalization, you know, obviously focused on global issues and international peoples and projects um, or or, you know, DEI work sometimes being funneled traditionally through multicultural affairs that's housed in student affairs and then internationalization often being housed in academic affairs. It's not the same everywhere, but that traditionally that's how it's been set up. And so um, the collaboration hasn't naturally been there and the lens that either could use for one another hasn't always been there, I think. Um, and so, you know, to me, I think that there are definitely clear ways that DEI work can have a global lens beyond even what we've shared. Um, you know, for example, by 2040, for example, one in three children will be the child of an immigrant. And those kids are going to be coming through college, right? And will need their needs addressed. Mm -hmm. um, and they are going to have diverse backgrounds, but this transnational aspect of their background is going to definitely be present and at a, and at a forefront. Um, international students, many, most of our international students would be considered people of color in US society. Mm -hmm. um, and even though these students have, um, they may experience their racial identity or racialization differently than people of color in the US with a longer history, here, they're still raced in yeah. the U.S. Um, and so they, they need support in navigating, you know, that the, the structural racism that exists in nuanced ways, given their other positionalities, um, you know, inequities in higher education regarding access um, into and through college are global phenomena. Mm -hmm. I, I was in the Netherlands when we could travel. <laughs> um, back in January, I went with a group of faculty of color and we met with students of color, uh, Dutch students of color, who spoke of the same kinds of issues that American students of color talk about. Marginalization, othering. You know, what if DEI work and practitioners in higher ed focused on mobilizing globally around these issues mm -hmm. across countries, right? I think that there would be so much strength in that. Um, and I don't think it just is naturally there. I think some are doing it, um, but it's not always part of the conversation. And I think Kelpin, you wanted to hit on the activism piece a little bit too, right? 
I did, yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things that I, I, you know, to follow up on what Crystal is saying, I think we at UMass are particularly fortunate, as you alluded to in the efforts of Swami and that that lens that we have from the very top, that our offices have always been very connected, right? That International Education Week has always been celebrated together mm -hmm. by the Office of Equity and Inclusion and International Programs Office. And we have staff who sit together on different working groups and committees, and this is not the case everywhere. And so I think that we have an opportunity here to sort of build on some really good work and collaboration between. But I think the other piece about the global lens to DEI work I would bring is to um, is to think about it in terms of sort of um, where our international students are coming from. So in addition to being, you know, racialized or students of color or people of color in their own situations overseas or, or over here, the inequities that exist around the world exists kind of almost everywhere. If you're talking about, you know, access, gender injustice, if we're talking about educational access, if we're talking about, you know, climate justice, if you're talking about um, water and food security issues, right, that we, we think about it as being unique, but it's not. I mean, I think the modalities differ across the world, but the, the issues are the same right now everywhere. And so I think when students learn from each other, they might kind of see that activism in and of itself is uh, has different global iterations. And that the, if you think back to the civil rights movement here in this country, a lot of the ideas around that civil rights movement were, came from engagement overseas, right? Mm -hmm. For Dr. King, Gandhi was a big inspiration and his, his way of thinking about um, colonialism and, and you know, racial oppression translated with the work that he did. So I think as much as we can do to collapse those divisions to say, we can learn from each other all the time of how to be better activists, how to be uh, better advocates for peace, justice, equity, and security in our communities. And then globally, I think is, is crucial, and so I'm, I'm, you know, very hopeful that as we do more of this work together, that that global lens will help inform our work and and the work of our students who are so engaged here on campus better. I mean, again, if we think, you know, three years ago to South Africa when they were having the roads must fall, fees must fall, you know, it was about the cost of higher education, right? And cost of higher education is a huge concern in this country as well, and students are rightly. Um, organizing around it and, and, are, and are trying to be activists. So again, let's think about, well, what have other countries done about it? How are these, how are these problems is addressed in other countries or what are students facing and how can we support each other in global communities? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. As you were um, sharing those thoughts, I was thinking about, you know, I do research in organizational change. Um, and in that research, oftentimes you find that the lever that you can pull on doesn't come from within the organization itself or within the institution. It comes from looking at folks outside of your institution or organization that are right. suffering from similar issues, right? So that's, I think that's a really interesting perspective that um, certainly advice that us folks should heed. For yeah. sure, for sure. So the global pandemic has led to restrictions in travel and closed borders around the world. How has international education and global engagement had to evolve and adapt to these challenges? Um, and as a follow-up to that, what opportunities and challenges has this pandemic created? And we'll start with you, Calpen. Yeah, so I think that it's that has definitely been an interesting six months and a steep learning curve in many ways, right? So I mean, there are the obvious challenges 
are in terms of being there for our international community. So we had a lot of students who left campus back in March, uh, but we also had some students who stayed on. And so trying to make sure that we were able to both meet their needs on campus of, you know, of isolation and the inability to travel and being cut off from their friends and family. And by the same token, then also meeting the needs of our students virtually as they engage with UMass in this different environment. So for example, we have to change up a lot of our, the times when we work, right? Because if our students are no longer on US business hours, how do we make sure that we're available for them for drop-ins or coffee hours or, or all of that virtual programming in a way that is more conducive to their time zones. Mm -hmm. By the same token, you know, with students studying abroad or exchange programs have been severely restricted. So we've been trying to think about what can we do either by means of providing some, um, some um, virtual opportunities for them to engage with a global classroom or an exchange partner or or sit in on a language course somewhere else and maybe pick up a virtual internship with a global corporation. So we've been sort of, you know, beginning to pivot in that direction. And as we were doing that, one of the things, and it's interesting, I had a, in a different meeting um, recently with uh, Anne Massey, the, the Dean of the Eisenberg School of Management, where she said that, you know, her, uh, her sort of mantra in this was to say, don't think of this as a fix for now, but we're using, you know, what, what, are, what are we keeping going forward? How mm -hmm. is this changing our, our thought process and our innovations and how we deliver our services and our products and how do we work with students and faculty? And I think that's been very much also part of how I've been working with my directors and, and our team to say, some of these, these changes are going to endure, right? That mobility has always been the, I think the easy crutch on which internationalization has leaned. But if you look at the number of US college students who move for international experiences, you're looking at a two to 3%, which is a negligible amount. And with the best will in the world and all of the money in the world, we're not going to get 100% mobility. We're not going to have every single student go abroad or have an exchange semester or even do a two-week faculty-led trip because it's just not possible. Logistically, family reasons, cultural reasons, financial reasons, you name it. So how do we, now that we mobility has been enforced and stopped, how can we concentrate on that internationalization at home, I think that Crystal alluded to, right? How can we work with curriculum and co-curricular activities and local communities and thinking really about what is a global education? Why do we want global competences? What is the why of our work? And then how can we do that in a, in a non-mobility fashion? So for example, uh, the University of California, Davis, I think has been doing some amazing work around what they call uh, global education for all. And you know that I am a shameless believer in stealing good ideas, as you were saying, from <laughs> other organizations, right? That if someone has done a good thing, why not try and replicate it? And, uh, and so I've begun to have a conversation with the School of Behavioral Sci uh, College of uh, Social and Behavioral Sciences here at UMass to say, how can we think about this global 
pathways or global education for all for every single student. And that might be, you know, you volunteer with an immigration clinic in Holyoke, or you work at the UMass Translation Center, or you work with the Center for, you know, our, our uh, civic engagement and service learning, Joe Kropinski and his team who do such excellent work in the communities around UMass, which have often large proportions of first and second generation Americans and new immigrants and people uh, who uh, have language issues or social justice issues, engaging with those, that's an international experience. Why prioritize and privilege mobility, mm. which is an expensive way of gaining a global competence and often a superficial way of gaining a global competence when you could do some deep and meaningful work in your own situation. So it's, that's really kind of where my head has been the last few months. My, I, I'm going to show my ignorance because right now my mind is completely blown at the idea and the concept of this, um, not necessarily the internationalization for all, but the internationalization at home that I think Crystal initially mentioned and that you have gone on to, to share with us, Calpin. It's just, um, I've never thought about internationalization in that way. And again, I, I know I'm absolutely showing my ignorance, but I think it's, it's fascinating and it's really important for our audience to be able to hear that because you are empowered to to engage in internationalization and you don't have to have you know the thousands of dollars that it may take or however much money it may take to travel abroad you can actually engage in that here and I think that's very empowering for our students but even for our faculty and staff Oh, and to some extent, sorry, Crystal. Oh, no, no, I was just saying, I no. just completely agree. Go ahead, Calvin. No, I was just going to complete that thought and say that, you know, to some extent, that's been our shortcoming as an office or as a university where we haven't devoted the bandwidth or the time. We've always talked about it. We have some work. We've always, you know, because we work with CECL, with Civic Engagement Service Learning. Mm -hmm. We work with different units to sort of you know, try and Yes, yeah, so we have a global curriculum. We actually started working back when Linda Shea was associate dean at Eisenberg on a, an international business certificate. And so I think I need to pick up that that uh, uh, chain at some point again. But you know, we've because mobility has been there and it's mm -hmm. an easy driver and it's easy to quantify and you can do numbers and set targets and you can report on it. That it's it's we haven't focused on it in a way that now we can and should. And I think it'll be one of the enduring changes that comes out of this pandemic. And again, not just for us, I think I'm seeing this across the field, across universities. Yeah, and I was thinking like I lived in Holyoke for about three or four years. And you know, while I lived there, I ate tons of Puerto Rican food. I, hang, I hung out with a lot of Puerto Rican people, um, you know, holidays, birthdays. I was deeply entrenched in the culture because of where I lived and just, acknowledging those experiences as being a part of the internationalization yeah. engagement, I think is important for people to feel like um, they're contributing. So yeah. thank you for that. For sure. And I would just add really briefly that yeah, I please. think, you know, as Kelpin mentioned, there are so many spaces for kind of reimagining and for accessibility when it comes to this internationalization piece. Um, certainly the, interna the internationalization at home um, piece, um, you know, thinking about the use of um, virtual platforms or, um, you know, Zoom or things like that to be able to have, um, you know, accessible speakers or programming or things that, you know, we just never thought about before 
because it's like, okay, there might not be funds to fly someone here or to do that kind of work, but there are just different ways, I think, to be able to really um, reimagine how we can provide students, but also faculty and staff further exposure and to also, you know, be able to showcase um, all of the great things that are happening. And I think International Ed Week is one of those things um, that will do that for sure <laughs> coming up. Fantastic. So in closing, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today and for this wonderful conversation. Before we go, I do want to make sure that you have an opportunity to let the audience know how they can participate in International Education Week and to ask if you have any closing thoughts that you would like to share. So, so all very- Oh yeah, go, oh, okay. sorry. Oh no, no, it's okay. I was just gonna share how to, to get connected to the work, but um, yeah. So I mean, we, the it's starting November 16th. So coming up soon, um, you can definitely go to www.umass.edu slash IPO to get more information and a calendar of events. Um, you can follow uh, at UMass IPO on Twitter, um, follow them on Facebook to be able to get updates and things like that. Uh, and there's going to be so many great activities happening, professional and career development for international students, um, self-care in times of COVID-19. I'm hosting a watch party of a panel on the topic of Black Lives Matter in a global context. So I think it's going to be, you know, some really great, great stuff happening. Calvin? I was just going to point out the website. You've done that. So that's great. I mean, I just say that this will be an opportunity to experience internationalization at home. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic. So thank you both again for spending time with me today. Um, and thank you all to our listeners for tuning into the Dignity and Respect in Action podcast. <laughs>